You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. I just want to wish a happy new year to everybody who didn't listen to the mailbag. <laughs> Happy New Year, Happy New everyone. Year. It We're is back. January 12th. It's still, it's the first year, first month of the new year. Yeah. It is also so. like, uh, like sociopolitically still 2020. <laughs> um, yeah, I saw someone joking on Twitter that was like, oh, this year, no one's going to forget what year they're writing, like on their calendar. And I'm like, no, very much I am forgetting because it still feels like a continuation of the worst year I've ever experienced. Not to mention, I still write 2005 on things. <laughs> the other day, I like wrote 2014 on something, and I was like, what, what in the world am I on? I don't What's know what, going on. I mean, I do in part know what the significance of like 2014 was for me. Like, I turned 18, I went to college, but that <laughs> is my automatic like reset year. I yeah. couldn't tell you why. Very strange. Um, but yeah, we're at the coup, we're at the pandemic, we're at the combination coup and pandemic, and we're here to talk about <laughs> MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're so excited to be back. I, it's so funny, because every time we go on hiatus, I get back, I'm like, oh god, I don't want a podcast, like I've gotten so used to not doing it, and then I hear the Teen Wolf theme, and I'm like, yeah, I'm home. We're ready to go. Ready. Down to clown. Ready to party. This was a particularly nice episode to come back to, I think. True. We did yeah. leave on a real stinker. <laughs> Yeah, we felt kind of bad about that. We were like, oh, what a downer, and then we're going to leave. Well, we did the Muppets Christmas episode. That's true. Yeah, um, which if you're still somehow feeling holly and jolly, we did do a Muppets Christmas episode. Um, but yeah, then it's good to come back on a good note, and then, you know, we're going to knock out the rest of season three, probably start season four without any hiatuses. Maybe we'll do a bonus app. Um, we'll do a poll on Twitter for the bonus app. Valentine's Day is coming up. Could do a themed bonus episode. Like a horror movie? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and when I say Valentine's Day is coming up, I mean um, Target already has its decorations out. So that's the, the true marker of when the holiday starts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The real holiday is February 15th when all the candy goes on sale. Obviously. Um, so we're back to talk about season 3B, episode 10, Devoid. Hmm. It's good. It's written by uh, Jeff Davis and Angela Harvey, so Dream Team, um, and directed by Christian Taylor, who you may remember as being the director of Motel California. It, this has strong Motel California vibes. It really Very does. Very much so. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, we do have to do a recap. That's uh, true. I have no idea who's going first. I think I went first for Muppets, so I'm going to put this one on you. Okay. Um, Is that because if we play rock, paper, scissors, you'll lose? Okay, you don't have to, like, <laughs> call me out. Like, listen, I feel like we should really, uh, like, hold each other up as hosts. That was not, yeah, I'll fucking lose. That, mm, yeah, I will. Okay. Uh, well, I think I'm ready. Okay. I, I took some plot notes, but now we have to get back into the habit of reading my own handwriting, which is also hard. I had to get back in the habit of writing my own handwriting. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think I picked up a pen the entire time I was home. No. To do anything. No. Um, all, all, all communication was done via the interwebs. So yeah, exactly. All right. Well, as usual, you have a minute on the clock. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Okay, so we pick up where we left off, left off last episode. Um, the sheriff is trying to get Styles out of Derek's apartment, um, and everybody shows up and is trying to get him to leave. But then uh, the Nugitsune uses everyone as protection against the Oni. Um, Scott shows up, but Styles gets away. Um, Noshiko is down in the basement of. Uh, 
Eichenhaus looking at Reese and the Nogitsune steals her last tail, cuts himself open and releases all these flies. It's really scary. Um, the flies go run around and crawl into everybody's ears and eyes and mouth and nose. And uh, Isaac leaves the hospital and runs out. There's a little scare scene, which is really cute. Um, Peter and Derek are talking about how the Nogitsune doesn't play by human rules. A bunch of body horror. Lydia and Aiden find Styles' body in the parking lot and bring it back to Scott. Scott's house. Um, the sheriff is getting bullied by Mr. McCall and going to his impeachment hearing, uh, which then later gets saved by Mr. McCall. Um, Deaton shows up with Canima Venom to subdue Styles, and they are trying to figure out how to get the new Gitsune out of him, which involves Peter coming over and telling uh, Scott to go into his mind with Lydia. Oh, <sighs> that's a minute. There is so much happening. There's a lot happening. You are right. This I did not correct. even... There were things I missed even within that chunk of episode I was talking about. So it's, it's jam packed. It's very clear that we're getting to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. They so have a lot much to, has to happen. Mm-hmm. All of the loose ends need to be tied up. Um, yes. So I don't blame mm-hmm. you, and I'm not going to do any better. No. Okay. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. You have 60 seconds. All right. Are you ready? Yes. Three, two, one, go. So we pick up where we left off, and Styles is standing in the in Derek's loft, and. It's, the sheriff is like, please, if you're my son, come with me. And then he causes all this fuss. And then like Chris almost shoots him. And then like Scott and Kira show up and then the Oni show up and then they leave. And they're like, what was that about? And everybody sort of goes home to like recoup. But then Styles is in the basement of Eichenhaus with Nashiko. And she's like, I wanted everyone to know that Reese died himself. And then he steals her tail and then releases all these flies, which crawl into all the werewolves and make them go nutso. And like all of their like resentments are coming to the surface. And then, uh, they, Lydia has like a banshee premonition and finds Styles in a parking lot and they bring him back to Scott's house and, Peter is like, well, if we need to, like, you know, deal with this, we're going to have to go into his mind because this is a mind problem. So he has, like, Scott do the cloth thingy into Styles and Lydia because he wants to bring her along to the mind place. And meanwhile, like, Isaac is, like, hooking up with Allison, and then he goes crazy because of the fly, and then he wants to fight the twins because they murdered Erica and Boyd. And they're all fighting and, like, every all this, all this infighting, and then the they howl at Styles and... Yes. Was it? A it okay. Yes. So in the Styles' brain, they both have to go through these like weird like hallucinations, hallucinations until they find Styles playing Go with a Nogitsune, and Lydia tells Scott that he needs to howl at Styles to get his attention. And once Styles breaks free of the Nogitsune, the Styles that is in the living room, once they're out of the mind world, the Styles that is in the living room throws up a bunch of gauze and what who else rises from the ashes but the real Styles. Dun dun dun. And then after he howls at Styles, the uh, fly curse breaks. I don't think either mm-hmm. of us mentioned that Derek ties up Chris <laughs> and, and threatens and, to set him on fire. Yes. Yep. Um so as I said a little bit in my recap, we're gonna be talking about this episode through the theme of resentment. Mm, that we are. Because people are upset. People are about upset. a lot of stuff. We are now at sort of a boiling point in the show where everybody has a lot of history that is very difficult to unpack. And in times of strife, that usually brings these things to the surface. And obviously, like, the Nogetsune wants that to happen because it is so much easier and more fun to for him to watch other people tear each other apart than him have any part in it. Mm-hmm. Um which does make for some very compelling drama in this episode, and I'm excited to talk about it. It's very much like Batman The Dark Knight Rises. Some people just want to watch the world burn. Yes. That's the vibe. I thought you were going to say Batman Begins when <laughs> the chemical goes into the air and everybody thinks everyone's really scary. That is genuinely one of the scariest things I've ever seen in a movie. I was so young when I saw that in theaters, because what, it came out in 2005? Mm-hmm. So I was nine and did see that in theaters, <laughs> and it scarred me for life. 
we watched it recently and I was like, oh, mom isn't going to like this movie because there's the creepy like hallucinations. And my stepdad was like, what are you talking about? And then we're watching the movie. And he was like, oh, I totally forgot about this. <laughs> uh, she left. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to bring that for bring that example forward, like this is kind of a really, uh, I don't want to say overdone, but common trope. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like superhero-y and um, like horror-type deals. Um, yeah. And I think it's executed really well in this episode. It's something that we've kind of seen before with the Wolfsbane effect, um, but not quite as targeted. And mm-hmm. that's why I think this is so interesting because like in a way the flies aren't causing chaos by creating fire. They're more adding on to like what's already burning within everybody. And I think it's going to be interesting to dig into that. Where would you like to start? I think we should start with the twins. Uh, yeah, I was actually compelled by their storyline in this episode, which is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. Um, not because they, there there would have been space for the twins to be compelling characters if they had been afforded more time in the show. Yeah, um, for uh, sure. and unfortunately, they just didn't get that opportunity. No. Um, yeah. What is so interesting to me is that there is, like, infighting between the twins. Like, when Aiden gets the fly in him, he kind of goes nuts because he can't quite understand how Ethan could want to, like, make life in Scott's Pack and in Beacon Hills. Like, he feels like he's being abandoned by his brother, and he feels like he can't move... You know, he can only move laterally within Scott's graces, and that's incredibly frustrating. Um, and so the Nogitsune like sort of pushes him to go find him by issuing a sort of false threat being like, you know, twins can feel it when the other one feels pain, which (laughs) as an identical twin, (laughs) no, where did that rumor start? Um, it's mysterious and supernatural. So twins are kind of mysterious, not very supernatural. (laughs) We're just mostly weird. (laughs) Um, but it's really interesting to me that what he feels, you know, isn't really towards anybody else, but like the one person who's on his side. Mm. Um, and then Ethan, you know, it doesn't needs Aiden to be on his side because he, he sees like that there is a life for beacon life in beacon Hills for them. Um, and there is clearly a, a great divide between them. Yeah. I think for whatever reason, um, I'm thinking of the conversation that they had with Scott, um, either in like probably in three a, um, or maybe at the beginning of this season where they were talking about how they weren't just betas in their former life, they were omegas. And that was just a horrible, horrible life for them. And so Aiden really of the two of them took the loss of their pack and not only the loss of their pack, but the loss of the alpha power, I think much harder than Ethan did. And, for someone who has had that kind of power, I feel like it's way harder to step away and be like, well, I'm willing to be someone's underling again, even though they already were for Deucalion. But like, it's very interesting to me that one of them took it in a completely different way. It's interesting to me that you're like, yeah, they were kind of were underlings under Deucalion. But I think there was a part of Ethan that, of Aiden that was always like, well, if I have Ethan, I can overpower the other people because we are, can, you know, can be this super mega wolf, which mm-hmm. I guess can't happen after they're not. Yeah. I have questions. They don't ever do it again, which is fine <laughs> by me. Cause it's really gross. It's disgusting. Um, and he, I think needs 
Ethan to be on his side so that he doesn't feel like an underling mm-hmm. because that never really, I think that, that the sort of power of two always made it so that he never really felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it, it's, it's funny because even though they've had so much shit handed to them and like dosed out so much shit to the other people in this show that like at their core, the thing that, you know, charges this like, um, temporary insanity in them is their relationship to each other. Uh, which again, like I would love to know more about Ethan and Aiden, but we don't get a lot of it, but it is really interesting Mm -hmm. to me that in sort of everybody else has these really big things that they're fighting like for vengeance. Mm -hmm. And if for this, it's like, I just kind of can't lose you. Yeah. Um, which is touching. I don't know why this is a reference that came to mind, but I know how familiar you are with, um, Sideshow, the musical about the conjoined twins. Um, but they have these like very different ideas about how they want to live their life because they're in a sideshow, which is horrible. And one of them's like, well, I want to be mega famous and like get out of this and like be the best superstar that we can be. And the other one's like, I want to live on a farm (laughs) with a white picket fence. And I think Ethan very much feels like I want to be like everybody else. I want to be normal. Mm -hmm. And Aiden is like, fuck that. And I feel like Danny is a very grounding force for him because like, Mm -hmm. even though Aiden has his relationship with Lydia, it has never been you know, declared official and Lydia's life is very much within the supernatural and like, can't be separated from that. Yeah. Um, so he hasn't even, he, he himself has not been able to dig out enough from himself to be able to find the peace that Ethan has. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think he resents Ethan for having that. Totally. Um, peace not even peace but like willingness to move forward yeah it's like that sort of stereotype that if like your sister gets married before you it's a big deal it's it truly (laughs) wouldn't be i don't care who gets married first but like that you know what i'm saying playing on that idea Mm -hmm. um the trope if you will yeah uh speaking Mm -hmm. of the twins should we talk a little bit about isaac yeah making an appearance for the first time in several episodes i have missed him Mm -hmm. it's insane that he's in so little of the season right before he departs forever yeah. Sad. On the plus side, the fly, I guess, healed him enough to get him out of the hospital because he doesn't seem to be suffering the repercussions of being electrocuted. Well, he was already, his face had, like, all of the burns had already healed by the time the fly got there. I, I'm betting it was only a matter of time before Isaac woke up on his own, but then I guess. the fly was, like, the adrenaline shot. Fixing some severe brain damage. There had to have been, you know? everybody else okay yeah but like think about this remember when peter was burned alive and then came back to life are we saying peter doesn't have brain damage um i I don't (laughs) there's something wrong with him something but that was all but that was wrong before and we know that from the flashback episode that's true he is a little bonkers um isaac shows up to make chaos he does it's really sort of interesting to me that he it i it saddens me um, that Isaac shows up to Allison's house and is like, oh, I wanted to see you. And Allison, who doesn't know what's going on, is like very concerned but touched by like the first person Isaac wanted to see getting out of the hospital was Allison. Mm-hmm. And they kind of share this moment and we kind of get the idea that they sleep, sleep together, right? Or something. Yeah, he spends the night. Mm-hmm. Um, and only for her to wake up and be like kind of happy to think that he's there and he is going through her weapons and basically brings up the fact that he holds up the ring dagger and he's like, you know, you said you were gonna, you know, stop abiding by the code. And what's this? You said you're not carrying anything that's lethal. And we found out he shackled her to the bed, which is like Mm -hmm. so terrifying. 
I am very appreciative of the fact that um, I, I feel like that could have gone two ways. It could have gone the way um, that it does, where Isaac like leaves to go seek out the twins, or he could have started to inflict physical pain on Allison, which in, I would not be here for. I, no, I would have hated it. Um, and from a writing standpoint, I can see where you might have been like, well, it's kind of, it would be like a reciprocal thing as she stabbed the shit out of him with those ring daggers. Mm -hmm. Um, But I am extremely glad. I think probably part of it is because they had a woman writing on this episode. Yeah. They didn't do that. Um, But what I found really interesting about um, this version of Isaac, it's very similar to him when he first became a werewolf it is yeah and what made isaac sort of go so dark so fast is how much resentment he harbored specifically towards his father to his Mm -hmm. lack of popularity um and it was just that sort of the impetus of power like finally he could break free of his like you know sheltered life and while isaac has recovered from that and, and, and dealt with that pain and, and found that that wasn't the solution. The second it triggers this experience in him again, he operates on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously none of them really break free from this trance. So it's not yeah. like Isaac is special in any way. Um, but it, it does, it does strike me as it strikes me as a very different type of resentment though, because in, in the beginning he wanted power against sort of like, his oppressor basically. And this is like, I am going to punish the people who have taken other people from me Mm -hmm. because he started with no one and now he has no one. And in that middle is when he grew, when he had Erica, when he had Boyd. Um, and that's why he wants revenge on the twins. Well, and how horrible must it have been for Isaac to suddenly be filled with all of this newfound power and he couldn't save people with it. Yeah. Um, to react to that. And it's such a stark contrast to the character that we have seen in the past, you know, however many episodes that he's been in, in this particular season, because he's kind of like this awkward teenager. Yeah. Um, and he turns into this ice cold and werewolf. Again. You can kind of tell that Allison knows that something is wrong, mm-hmm. but I think after everything that's happened, she's like just sort of relieved to have this person with her. And it is so such a betrayal for her to wake up and realize what he's doing. Um, yeah. And that's that's really sad. And it also just sort of clues you into how much their relationship has been able to be like cultivated through this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but like clearly Isaac and we say like Teen Wolf doesn't bury their dead. It's kind of nice to hear Isaac sort of still be like, "We, I need to avenge like Boyd and Erica because no one else is thinking about them except for, you know, you and me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how much has Isaac been carrying around um, that like he doesn't really have anyone else to, to deal with those feelings with? Like he doesn't yeah. have a sort of safe place. I think he can probably talk to Scott, but it's not really the same as like talking to a parent. Yeah. And he clearly cannot or perhaps like even will not lean on Derek for anything. Yeah. Um, and then that grief has manifested into like a resentment towards his own inability to fix the situation towards the other people who caused it. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting the way they fit the puzzle pieces together in this particular episode, because everybody, the werewolves all feel a certain amount of resentment towards each other, but then the twins end up fighting Isaac 
And again, I feel like the Isaac thing could have gone two ways where he could have gone after the twins, makes sense, or he could have gone after Derek, who is kind of the source of all his woes. Yeah. In a certain way. Yeah. But but Derek is busy doing other things. Uh, should we talk about Derek? Mm-hmm. So Derek... Uh, and some of Tyler Hecklin's best acting. This is in Tyler. The show. Yeah. Well, finally he gets something fun mm-hmm. to do. Derek never gets mm-hmm. anything fun to do, and it, like yeah, sucks to go to work and have like the boring straight man lines. Like, ah. I mean, I remember seeing um, him in Palm Springs, and he doesn't have a big part, but like the moments he has, I was like, oh, you're funny. You're really funny. Yeah. Yeah. You have charm. Mm-hmm. Um, Oodles. But yeah, like, you know, Derek when he. Has, you know, gets poisoned by the fly, mm-hmm. um, goes after Chris. And we have sort of, this is like, it's it's interesting to me that this is the choice just because this is the, the trauma that keeps being sort of reopened for us. Mm-hmm. The whole, like, you, your sister killed my family, I'm going to kill you in front of your family. Um, I think, yes, this, it was really fun to watch sort of him be able to do, like, play the crazy and, like, just you know the stakes were so high mm-hmm. um it's you know when you think about the fight that's happening between the twins and Isaac chances are like if one of them gets knocked out they just get heal mm-hmm. he dumps like Derek dumps lighter fluid on Chris Which, and in addition to like you know being able to set you on fire is not good for your skin it'll like Give you, you blisters and yeah. burn you. Um, <laughs> but like when he did that, I could like smell the lighter fluid. It was like a very terrifying moment of being mm-hmm. like, I'm going to make you suffer in the way that my family did. Yeah. Um, which is really interesting to me because I wonder even in all of this um, and in the fact that he's had to become an unlikely ally with Chris, cause they have spent a lot of time together this season, how much he still looks at him and like, is like, this is your fault. Like how there has to just be a little part of him. That's always there thinking about that. We're like, just being like, I, I doesn't actually matter if it wasn't you. I resent your very existence because you are one of the people who did it. Because you turned a blind eye, probably, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, it's also very much the nature of, like, childhood trauma. Because Derek was a teenager when that happened. And even though Kate is dead, um, not by his hands, but by, like, another family member's hands, it doesn't really matter because the problem, obviously, is within Derek himself. Um but the tendency is to externalize that onto um, Chris, who had nothing to do with it. Yeah, we think. We th- mm, assumedly. But I also think that Chris is kind of honest to a fault sometimes. Sometimes. Most of the time, he's just hiding everything. Yeah. Um, but he... He's either, like, too open or, like, not, we don't know anything that's happening. I think at this point, if he had been involved, we would know. The man could not tell a white lie. No. No. Um, and the fact that, like... Chris is so, um, as patient as one can be throughout mm-hmm. this whole thing is that I guess he understands the pain that he and his family, uh, have wrought upon Derek over and over again in his childhood and his adult life. Yeah. What I find so interesting about this is like now the only person who can probably understand his pain is Chris because mm-hmm. Chris has now lost pretty much the equal amount of family. Yeah. Um, especially at the end of when we don't get to watch that happen because he bounces and then comes back yeah he comes back in season five Mm -hmm. is he in season four uh maybe at the end i'm gonna be real we're getting to like a season where i have no idea what happens it's gonna like 
it's going to be like me watching season four for the first time. Oh, I honestly was sitting through this episode being like, I have a vague idea of how this episode plays out, but I thought that there was like way more styles in it. Um, style slash Nogitsune, and it really wasn't about him at all. And I was like, oh, I don't remember this. Yeah. 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 Um, and you know, once we lose Allison, you know, it's Chris is like, I guess I'm taking this kid with me. Like the only, like Isaac, it's funny. There's like sort of like triangle here of like no family of Derek, (laughs) Chris and Isaac. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sweet to me that he's like, we're going to need each other. That is the thing that I really appreciate about the adults in this show. And we have plenty of praise for when the adults become more involved and they become more of a, a presence in the cast. Um, but the idea that they are all so up for like taking care of and sheltering kids who are not their own mm-hmm. because they're important to their children. Yeah. Which is like so much more how adults are like in the real world than teen mm-hmm. television ever makes it. How many of your friends' moms did you call mom? Yeah. All of them? Probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're on a first name basis because it's how it was, you know? Yeah. Um, and so often it's like a, my child versus your child, weird, like fake bullshit that like totally happens, but not amongst friend groups No, in like teen shows. So you're right. I, I, I do think that that is sort of honorable, but back to Derek, like, I think that, um, I think that Derek is so restrained in his emotions at all time that the reason why Derek sort of has the most sort of psychotic break amongst this is that he has never let himself process this grief or this resentment in a, in a healthy way. And the second there is something that sort of lets it go, it goes so much harder. Again, like lighting somebody on fire is not the same as fist fighting them in a locker room. No, not in the slightest. Um, and I, I think it's no coincidence that Derek is one of the most hyper-masculine characters on the show as well. Um, that they, we, one might call it toxic masculinity, in fact. Yeah. Because um, boys aren't allowed to cry. If somebody's performing a gender, it's him. Yeah. Um, talking about the adults, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Selinsky and McCall, who exist entirely outside of the supernatural in yes. this episode. Mm-hmm. Very clearly, they harbor resentment for each other. Obviously, the current resentment is that uh, uh, McCall is trying to get sheriff impeached yeah um oh my god you know what i was thinking about Hmm. like about a year ago uh we have an episode where we started the episode where we're like god so great that trump is being impeached like (laughs) truly like this is gonna be the start to like good things in our year i I, yeah we sound so stupid especially because it's happening again yeah right now yeah uh-huh uh, Finding out that you could impeach somebody post their term is insane, but wow. Fingers crossed. I've heard that they're going to vote on Wednesday. We're recording this on Tuesday. The Senate so, or the House? The House. So then we'll we'll see. But apparently this would bar him from ever running for any public office ever again. It would also get rid of his secret security detail. Amazing. Yes. And get rid of his like pension and his travel allowance. I have a lot of really uncharitable things to say about that man, and I won't, but no, just you so can. you know. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't agree with that is not listening to our podcast, which is like a social justice with like a taste of MTV's Teen Wolf. We are physically incapable of getting through any episode without talking about American politics or the pandemic. Yeah. So. Yeah. I wonder if we had done this podcast like two years ago, what it would sound like. 
I, I was thinking about that today because I walked past one of the apartments that we looked at the first time that we came to Chicago, which was three years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, life would be very different if that had all shaken out. Yeah. Weird. So weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so Sheriff is trying... No, McCall is trying to get the sheriff impeached. Um, and so clearly the sheriff is like... you're coming in here, you're ruining my life, you're ruining your kid's life. And I think it's so crazy to me that, like, the sheriff isn't more mad about the fact that he did that just to, like, extend his time with Scott. You're his dad. Like, you have to just think, good, amazing dad, Sheriff Stolinski. is like, it is not my fault you suck at being a dad because I'm doing this and I'm doing (laughs) it on my own and you're a piece of shit. (laughs) I think that the sheriff probably has some sort of empathy for him that's clearly the only explanation as to why he's not that mad um but you know i i think about the number of people that i know in in my life who just have like shitty dads and the number is so high because i think the expectation all the time is that you know you're just gonna have a shitty dad mm-hmm. um and i think that there is some like an an unch of respect that the sheriff has for Mr. McCall, Agent McCall. Yeah. For trying to make things up with Scott, even though he's been doing a very poor job and literally not even trying. What's funny to me is that we find out that the sort of main resentment that McCall has towards the sheriff is basically that he knows what he did to Scott and was probably the officer in charge of taking care of those proceedings because we find out in the next episode or maybe the final episode that Raphael... I don't know if he was, like, frequently abusive. That's not really how they make it out, but he pushes Scott down the stairs as a little kid. I think the implication is that he, um, his drinking was getting out of control, and that was kind of the act that tipped the scales. Yeah. For the, for the family. Um. Um, horrible. Yeah. And so, like, not only does, uh, does, um, uh, McCall resent the sheriff for, you know, being the one in charge of those proceedings, but also because he probably cannot look at him without thinking about what he did. And it is an internalized like form of resentment as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I think so often like um, embarrassment and resentment can go hand in hand um, because McCall is obviously not, he doesn't feel good about having done that. And it's a part of himself that he like is embarrassed by And so the fact that the sheriff knows that about him has to be like deeply, deeply embarrassing. And then to roll it up in the fact that like he is part of the law enforcement aspect of it all um, just makes it this really icky ball of horrible feeling. Yeah. Towards the sheriff. Yeah, I totally agree. And yet he saves his job, his job. Yeah. Um, So, you know, he's not all bad, I guess. I mean, I think it'd be one thing if he had... He's demonstrating growth (laughs) or whatever. Yeah, but he also, like, bailed. Yeah, he did. So, um... I think... I want to talk really quickly about Scott and Allison. Yeah. This is just kind of a a sort of weird one-off because I I think on first reading you would not pick up on any sort of resentment. Mm -hmm. But in the hallucination that they're having in Styles' mind... Which I want to ask a question about that, but I'll pause. Um, they're basically making out in Allison's closet. And it's similar to a sort of scene that we saw earlier um, where they're hiding in her closet from his, from her, uh, from her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
he keeps being like, why are we hiding? Why are we hiding? And she's like, because we have to, because we have to, we've got to be quiet. We've got to be quiet. And eventually he looks at her and he's like, we're not even together anymore. Mm-hmm. And when he says that, it almost feels like abandonment. Like, why am I listening to you? We're not together anymore. And at first it does seem like this sort of really sweet, like cute Scott and Allison moment. And I was like, oh, I kind of miss them. Yeah. But it sours in such an interesting and subtle way. What do you think about that? I think that Scott probably doesn't harbor any like conscious feelings of resentment towards Allison because he is a very um, loving and empathetic person who really tries to respect her feelings and her boundaries, which Scott McCall, a king. True. Um, but I do think that there's probably this undercurrent of, you know, Scott jumped through so many hoops just to be with Allison. And it wasn't as though he were the only person invested in that relationship. He did so many things just to be with her. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, it hurts when you like start out having an equal partnership. And then it turns out that you were the one who loved that other person more. And I think, I don't even want to weigh how much, what they feel about each other. Mm -hmm. But like when it comes to like the end of season two, that what Scott put into it was clearly not reciprocated because of yeah. Allison's personal um, changes. Yeah. Oh, and not even that, you know, that however, like Allison not loving him as much, that's probably not true, but it might be the way that he feels. Um, and also, I mean, like the kid almost died. Her mother almost killed him. Yeah. And he was still not only willing and wanting to be with Allison again, but he didn't tell her. Yeah, he wanted to shelter her from that. Yeah. Um, which so is so interesting. Scott has gone through so much pain in order to help Allison because he loves her. Mm-hmm. And I think in that moment, um, you know, it's just a horrible realization for him. And I'm sure he has not processed their breakup, which as a teenager is like world ending. Yeah. He's, I actually think he's processed it better than most, you know, it's not like, Mm -hmm. it's not like his relationship with Kira is like a rebound thing, you know? No. He's genuinely ready to move on. But I think that there are things that he would want to talk about with Allison that he's never, uh, he will never get a chance to talk to her about. Oh God. (laughs) I don't think I'm ready. No. Um, very sad to think about it, but it's it's a really interesting little scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to touch on that quickly before mm-hmm. we move into what is kind of one of the most interesting like exchanges in this episode, and that is the relationship between Lydia and Peter. Mm-hmm. I think it's very interesting that, you know, Peter's like, it's dangerous to go alone, take Lydia with you into the... Um, no gets in his mind. Yeah, the that already is strange to me, especially because he's sort of sweet with her in this episode. He really is, and then puts her in danger. <laughs> but he's Peter. Well, I think they're just by virtue of Lydia being like a death, like a harbinger of death, mm-hmm. um, being being a banshee. I was about to say no gets in a would not right. Um, the fact that Lydia is a banshee, I think she just has like this intuition about the no gets in a who brings chaos and death wherever he goes, and so. Uh, I think it makes sense. Very weird on like the logistics of how in the world that works. Um, He's got two hands. We keep saying this about (laughs) Scott Isaac and Allison. He's got two hands. He does have two hands. Which means he can be in both Lydia's mind and Styles's. Mm -hmm. But I also think, I mean, 
golly, God love him, but Scott's kind of a dum-dum. And there's a moment in this episode <laughs> like that really brings that you're home. Being, you're like, God, it's, you know, I love Scott, but he's so dumb, which is like the thesis of this podcast. <laughs> it's Scott true. McCall, himbo extraordinaire. <laughs> yeah. Literally earlier in this episode, which has nothing to do with anything, but he's like, what if I bite an artery trying to turn Styles into a werewolf? That never stops Edward Cullen from doing anything. No. He turns Liam on accident. <laughs> Pure accident. Um, yeah. So I really do think Peter is like, mm, Scott's a dummy. Better put Lydia in there Which with him. Which is good because Lydia's the one who figures out how to get Styles' attention. I will say that this episode is like very serious, but the, mo- the moment when Lydia's like, and what do wolves do to signal them to themselves to the rest of the pack? And Scott's like, they howl. Oh, and then he it was dumb. It was so dumb. stupid. And it was very funny. And then I find it funny that they're like, oh, it's called howling. And then he just roars like a lion. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah. Uh, yeah. It is funny that Peter looked at Scott and was like, I diagnosed you as stupid <laughs> and-, and your prescription is a smart person. Um, but yeah, Lydia's, uh, sort of hallucination is one gorgeous though so well the lighting is beautiful the way that the balloons are falling and it's this flashback to the spring fling dance mm-hmm. where peter mauls her in the first season and it's really interesting to me that that is what she is picturing after peter has sent her in to do this dangerous thing and he's screaming her name but he doesn't scream her name until the nogitsune is trying to attack her mm-hmm. and then it's him saying that that sort of pulls her out of that hallucination they are very much tethered to each other they are like dark soulmates yes they are match made in hell um i have always appreciated that there was never like any kind of sexual aspect to that relationship because that would be absolutely oh, disgusting no, it would be n- not good but oh. i do just you know i feel like the um I was going to say the gold standard. This isn't really what, that's not really what I mean, but like the um, best example of like the worst possible sexual relationship is in Pretty Little Liars with the girl and her teacher and they get married at the end of it. Oh my God. Did you not know that? It's I horrible. have never seen Pretty Little Liars. Yeah. I don't watch Freeform. It's, it's legitimately terrible. So I'm appreciative that they never tried to do that with Peter and Lydia, but they are like, I don't know, blood brothers. Yeah, I'm I'm not kidding when I say dark soulmates. Like they are connected deeply in part because I think that probably part of Lydia exists in Peter by mm-hmm, virtue of physically. her yeah, by virtue of her bringing him back to life. Um and and like yes, like Peter needs her to get through this because she's made the deal that she'll tell him the name of his kid mm-hmm. if you know he helps them. Um, which is funny because they're like, we can't call Derek. He never, he's not any help because he's not willing to do the dirty work. But they're like, well, Peter will do something fucked up. And he does. I actually kind of wonder if they call Derek first or not. I think they mention that they're not going to call Derek. Oh, interesting. Um, well, I also think that Lydia and Peter, um, Lydia grows up a lot during the series, which is really great to watch, but she is also kind of selfish and can be manipulative with her friends and um very much is typically thinking about number one particularly in the first season and into the second yes. so i think that like they are kindred spirits match made in hell but like it, it on so many different levels not just like physically but also they're very similar personalities um and you know peter is 
one, the person who activated Lydia's powers and also the only person who seems to know anything about Banshees. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I think when you think about that being her sort of tortuous, tortuous, torture, why can't I speak? Her mm. bad experience in the hallucination. I gave up. Um, she, you know, in terms of resentment, like clearly sort of despises Peter for what he did to her and that immense trauma. Um, and, you know, it's being manifested in this hallucination, but she also really needs him and they need each other. Mm-hmm. If, you know, I think Peter would probably like love to never think about Lydia again, but unfortunately they keep like being pulled together for all of these different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and you kind of see that in the few episodes previous when she's in the loft and it's like you, you actually, that might be in three a, but you know what I'm talking about, right? No, that like just happened. Yeah. Okay. We just talked about it. Yeah. Um, and so I think that even probably he resents how much he needs her, but the fact that they keep needing each other is, is always very like dramatically interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Especially because Peter is always the villain, even when he's not. Yeah. And so I like having him around and I like seeing their interactions. Um, yeah. I'm also kind of wondering, but this could be, this could be something we talk about in Q's and O's. Um, do we want to move into Q's and O's? I'm totally ready. Yeah. My, but the question that I'm currently thinking of, do you think Lydia carries like harbors any resentment towards Peter about the fact that not he didn't turn her into a banshee but uh it's unclear as to whether her powers would have taken shape anyway i think it becomes more clear later on but do you think she holds any kind of resentment that he broke the seal yeah um i think by the time that she figured like he says that to her she has come a lot closer to being in like come to terms with her powers. But if you had been like, by the way, Peter's the reason you're feeling this at the beginning of three a, when she just keeps finding bodies and finding bodies, I think that that would have really, really sickened her. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think Lydia is starting to think about it a little more as a superhero, like you, ha- like a superpower. Like, I think you have to think that she was really relieved that she rolled into that parking lot inside of styles, like scared, obviously, but like to be able to tune in on him, you know, mm-hmm. must have been, I think at this point she she it's it's totally a curse but is also very much a blessing. Yeah, that's kind of my um, inclination as well, and uh, particularly since we later understand that she has like a familial history with it, I think it's harder to be resentful of that power. Yeah. Okay, here's my question, and mm-hmm. there's like no effing way to answer this. <laughs> so these things are happening in Styles's head. Are they manifestations of like how Styles? thinks of his friends or like big traumatic events or, you know, big relationships that he thinks about them. How is it happening in his head? Or are they by like, you know, because they're in sort of a subconscious space, is that happening for them? Is it new? I mean, it's clearly in part, the no is mm-hmm. controlling it, but you have to think he's pulling from styles memories or like his feelings on his friends. And then the no is operating on that. Yeah. I think that the example of, the particular tortures that he visits upon Scott and Lydia um, are really obvious. Like they're not, uh, he's not touching on their deep seated, like existential fear. No. Um, He's touching on things that he could very easily have found out walking through Styles's mind. Um, Like, Oh, Scott and Allison broke up and that was really traumatic for him. 
Um, and Scott like loved Allison more than anything and anyone in the world. So if I put them together, that'll distract Scott because ultimately I think it's a distraction one for, I think he's trying to distract Scott so that he doesn't get to the <laughs> underground parking lot, you know, where they're hanging yeah. out and playing go. Um, because perhaps he views Lydia as the weaker of the two. And so he doesn't need to distract Lydia. He needs to put her in a vulnerable position. Oh, it's funny. I actually think that's the opposite. I think he needs to distract Scott because Scott is would not be able to figure it out with Lyd- without Lydia. And when Lydia's nose starts bleeding and Peter starts freaking out, I think it's sort of like a, if you die in the dream, you die in real life type deal. Yeah. So I think that he's like, Lydia must go first because she's the answer. And she is also the most physically vulnerable. Yes. Of the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. When Peter is like screaming her name, it's like very um, evocative. It really is. It's very, it's kind of like a dad moment a little bit. Almost. But it's also just I don't like, want to say that that's what their relationship resembles. <laughs> no, but it, like he feels genuine fear for her. And even though we find out like in the next scene that it's because he wanted to know the name of his child that he doesn't know. Um, Ian Bowen at least was very concerned <laughs> for, <laughs> for Lydia. Um, like his, his concern and his fear is very genuine. Um, and it seems like it's very genuine for her as a person. I agree. Uh, do you have any more questions? Just kind of, I, I mean, uh, I don't know if this is something we find out in later episodes, but I, I was kind of wondering like what happens to the, uh, to Nishiko's last tail, because I think it's her last one when Styles cuts himself open with it. Cause I don't know if it breaks or if it goes away. And then, you know, if she loses all of her tails, does she I think she probably just loses her power. Bummer. I don't know, though. I don't know. Um, Like, the kitsunes of Teen Wolf are so different from, like, actual kitsune lore that it's, like, I couldn't tell you even if I did the research. Yeah. Um, Do you have any O's? Some observations for us. Yeah. um, The body horror. We talked about this a lot while we were watching the episode. So good. So gross. If Dylan O'Brien didn't puke on set (laughs) while doing that, like, the gauze coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. What a gag reflex. Cause I would have vomited just thinking about it. Yeah, it is. It makes me physically uncomfortable. Um, the gauze yeah. part. And then also with the flies, like, yeah, it's gross when one of the flies crawls into one of the werewolves ear, but like when it crawls into Isaac's IV and Derek's like open, open wound. wound. Yeah. Oh my disgusting. God. Disgusting. And it's not as though they are like, <laughs> um, like ghost flies, like you see the skin Skin. rippling underneath it. And it is disgusting. Disgusting. In terms of body horror, I do want to mention that like what styles does when he cuts himself open is like supposed to mimic like seppuku, right? Yes. Which is very gross and very terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, really interesting to, to have that be put into, to, to this episode and, and, you know, sort of included in like the Japanese lore of this season. Well, especially cause it's, um, you're supposed to commit seppuku with like a dull blade and that's yeah. like exactly what the tale is. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, yeah, no. And I, I have a real appreciation for shows that like commit to the body horror and commit to like the physical consequences. Um, because again, I'm like, I'm watching through Buffy right now and I'm also watching through supernatural and like the physical consequences in those shows are so real. And, um, you worry about the people <laughs> you worry about, 
and you know that they're not going to die. But like, there's a really prominent character who I dies. I mean, they die all the time in Supernatural. <laughs> That's they just true. Keep coming back to life. <laughs> there's a really prominent character in Buffy who dies in season three, and she um, ends up like flinging herself off a roof and landing in a truck, and like, there's like a crunch as that happens, and it Ugh. is sickening. And she looks like beautiful. She mm-hmm. looks like Snow White, but like you've heard it and you've like watched them tear each other apart for the past, you know, 20 minutes fighting each other. And it's just, I love consequences. I do love consequences. Do you have any other observations? Um, lots of werewolf stuff. Um, yeah. We're going to talk about the pack sets in a minute, but um, lots more than there typically are. Um, if you have some observations, I'm going to look through my notes really quickly because I don't, I'm not sure. Um, oh, we had some, I loved the Skira moment. Very cute. When she's like, no, like, I want you to sleep in the bed with me, dummy. It's like, oh, Scott is such a king. And it's like, no, I'll sleep on the chair. Um, it's really, really cute. Um, and even though that it, like, the sort of Alisac of it was poisoned a little bit, I still just love the Alice and Isaac relationship. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a friend who's watching through Teen Wolf for the first time and she's texting me and she's like, damn, they have chemistry in part because those two dated, you know, Um, IRL. Yes. But still, but yeah, when like real people do by Hozier is playing, it's so cute. So cute. I love that song. This episode is so dark. I needed a little bit of, I needed a little bit of folksy tunes and like cuddling. So that was good. Good. I think they balance it out really nicely, especially because um, we didn't really talk very much about the uh, fight scene between the twins and Isaac. Um, but like Allison and Kira get involved in that. And yeah, they're they are like not a huge part of this episode, but the girl power of the episode is still pretty fun. Very fun. They kick ass. I would watch a million fight scenes with those two together. Yeah. The incredible moment when they trade weapons is dire fight going on they're trying to keep three people from killing each other and themselves Uh um and like it's your your nerves are on it and then they do that and you're like oh they're so cool i'm so satisfied they're They're so so cool cool. yeah yeah very good i feel like the girls have been kind of missing from the last couple of episodes so the fact that this one was so lydia heavy was nice and then Mm -hmm. seeing that little moment was was cool as well especially because like Lydia has a vested interest in styles as a person. And I think is very, very upset and distraught by this whole Nagitsune thing. So like, I think it's very appropriate that she was in the, the mind with them and that she gets to play such a huge role because she loves styles. Yes, she do. I also love styles. Same. All right, let's do those pack stats. Shall we pack stats? We've got five eyes. Okay. That's crazy. Um, it was werewolfy episode. It really was. Four claws. I am counting Aiden's like one, two punch as two because okay. that was very impressive. Um, two shirts, Ethan and, and Danny's where they went to go fuck in the shower. I guess. <laughs> Ew, and like, oh, there's like, they really treat that locker room. Like it's not disgusting. Have you been in a high school locker room? Like he fucking fills the sink basin and like splashes his face with the water in the bit. That's disgusting. Those things are disgusting. Absolutely gross. Nasty. And like, fine. If you want to go like have sex in that <laughs> high school shower, more power to you, but ew, you're going to get like an athlete's foot in there. <laughs> If you don't get anything worse, you're getting athlete's foot. Yeah, absolutely disgusting. And weirdly enough, there have not been ads in this show for like the last four episodes. Uh, And today there were like two right in a row. Danny is wearing a Nike shirt with a very visible swoop. And then when they get to the scene of Lydia in the car, it just bam on the Toyota logo. (laughs) Um, And then she's like, this is a new car. And I'm like, 
I'm surprised you did not mention what kind of car it was. Yeah. Because I am trying to think. I think it was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend who was like, if we're going to have ads, we're going to like really do it. <laughs> and for a while, Rebecca is like obsessed with her car and it's like a Kia and she won't stop telling people what kind of Kia it is and like all the features it has as part of the ad. That's really funny. It's very funny. Um, yeah, I, I didn't miss the ads. I also didn't really notice them that much in this episode, except for when she was like, it's a new car. I was like, ugh, okay. Ugh, okay. Um, that sequence where she's like, I'm listening to the GPS, and Aiden's like, it's not on. I was like, oh, yes, creepy Lydia stuff. Very creepy. Um, we, we, do we have any sirens? No, the radiator was... Uh, the radiator was on. Uh, finally, I've been very cold. It's freezing. <laughs> um, I think that wraps up pack stats, yeah? Mm-hmm. Do you have an alpha of the week? Mine's Peter. Is it weird that mine's Peter? No, I think it would have to be between Peter and Lydia because yeah. um, they figure it out. Yeah. And they, they get Styles yeah. back I'm gonna, yeah, the, between I'll, the two of them. I'll, I'll, bre- I'll break the... Uh, the crown. The crown and give it a piece <laughs> to each of them. Spring fling queens. Yes. Spring fling queens all. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's crazy that we're getting to the end of season three. It's so good to be back. Yes. Um, if you guys enjoyed this... Oh, wait! What? I forgot we have a review. Oh my god, yes, we do have a review. Well, guys, we are so excited. We have a quick piece of housekeeping. We got another five-star review on iTunes, and we are so excited to read it out for you, because this one made my heart sing. Yes. Um, yeah, do you want to read that review for us? Uh, yes. Um, this review is from Shania Ahmed. I am sorry if I mispronounced your... Uh, I was hoping it'd be Shania. Uh, Apple. Just because I love Shania Twain. Shania Ahmed. I don't know. Let Write in. Let us know. Yeah. We will, of <laughs> course, correct ourselves. Yes. Um, so uh, at the top says, love this podcast. She says, I'm a Gen Z person. So I was like in elementary school during Teen Wolf's run. Obviously, I got obsessed with Dylan O'Brien like every other teenager slash millennial girl on earth and watched Teen Wolf. It's kind of weird because since the show finished airing and we weren't and we aren't seeing any new content related to it. But when I came across this podcast, I was so excited. I'm so happy they share my Dylan O'Brien obsession and the 100 obsession, which is great. Why did I say the 100? I'm, I'm going to keep going, but um, it's it's pronounced the 100, and it's just me. Yeah, I don't watch that <laughs> show. Um, but it says, Christian and Julia have great chemistry on the air and make a whole hour super interesting and has low-key helped me on my AP Lang analysis essays by helping me really get into the book and the themes. Thank you for an amazing podcast. I am obsessed with that because uh, anybody who knows me knows that my pre-acting aspirations career-wise was to be a high school English teacher. So if I'm helping people with high school English, it's like I didn't give up on (laughs) one dream to pursue a different, better dream. It's like I'm doing both. Um, I have always had the feeling that someday I would be a teacher of some kind because it's in my blood, literally. And um, this just made me so, so happy. It's so sweet. Yeah. People are like, the chemistry. And it's like, you guys are hearing a glimpse of what conversation sounds like in this apartment. (laughs) It is usually 10 times unhinged. 10 times more unhinged. Completely incoherent, but still about like dumb pop culture shit. So I'm happy that we're able to bottle the best of it for you. That Mm -hmm. review just made my heart sing. A reminder, you guys, if you leave us a review on iTunes, if you like our podcast, if you leave us five stars, we will read it out loud uh, on the podcast. Give you a shout out. If you leave us a review and we read your review, tweet at us and we'll give you a shout out on Twitter as well. Our Mm -hmm. Twitter handle is at Teen Wolf underscore Rewolf, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow our personal Twitters and Instagrams from there. 
there. You guys are more than welcome to join our Facebook group to share in the memes. It's just Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast. Go and answer the questions and I'll let you in and we'll hang out. We have a Tumblr, Teen Wolf Rewolf, and I think that's it. I think so. Well, I have been Christian. I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Ah, woo!